you have to know exactly what it is that you're doing. Once that learning curve has been overcome, then BIM becomes very intuitive and it starts to tell you what it is that it wants. That's right, guys. BIM is not rocket science. That was a small snippet from today's episode with our guest, Reena Sahe, all the way from the United States, where she works as an architectural BIM manager at Fishbeck, Thompson, Carr and Huber Inc. Architects. And you guessed it right, this is going to be a BIM-based episode. Reena is going to be sharing her career, starting off in India, where she finished a Bachelor of Architecture from Punjab University in 1982. So she's got almost 30 years of experience plus, and there was a lot of great insights in this episode. She shares her journey to the US, completing a master's, working for various firms and also teaching, and eventually transitioning into CAD, Revit, and of course, BIM. So there's a lot of great advice and a lot of great tips in this episode. Rena also shares her tips on those who want to migrate to the US and start working there. And we talk in depth about the various BIM standards, the processes, and what goes behind running a BIM project. We've written extensive show notes, like always, on our website, which is arkyan.com slash 43. And if you want to reach out to Rena, you can get in touch with her on her LinkedIn profile, which is also part of our show notes. Rena was a very fun and amiable guest to talk to. She had a lot to share. And she also takes us to her past where she worked for BV Doshi and her time in India as well. So there's a lot to learn in this episode and I hope it inspires you to get into the BIM space. Let's get right to it. This is Journey of a BIM Manager with Reena Sahe. Let's go. You're about to enter the Ak Young Podcast. Young Podcast. India's first and very own architecture podcast where you'll hear the insights, experiences and journeys from India's leading architects. No matter what your skill level is, together we'll build on our knowledge and share architecture's greatest stories ever told. Now, here's your host, Manish Paul Simon. Let's jump right into it. Uh, give us your background and how uh, you transitioned from studying Bachelor of Architecture in India to now working as a BIM manager in the US. Uh, that was quite a journey. <laughs> right. I, I got my bachelor's from Chandigarh Car- College of Architecture. And uh, that's definitely quite a breeding ground, you know, for, uh, for architects. Right. You know, it's Corbus, Chandigarh, you're surrounded by architecture all the time. It's absolutely wonderful. In the mid-90s, I was introduced to AutoCAD. Mm-hmm. Somebody had Auto, AutoCAD on their machine. It was release 12, and I, I fell in love with CAD right then. So um, in the late 90s, I came to the United States, um, got my master's from the University of Michigan, with a concentration on CAD. Uh, Every CAD course that there was, I took it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I started teaching college classes in CAD. uh, And I've been been teaching at a variety of different schools um, over the years. Uh, In in 2016, I returned from academia to industry as a BIM specialist. And uh, now I am a BIM manager at uh, a firm called Fishbeck in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We are one of the leading architectural firms, one of the leading AEC firms in the Midwest. And it's 
it's a real challenge. It's an interesting job. It's a challenge. I'm loving everything that happens every day. Awesome. So you had a career that spans over 30 years, right? Correct. Awesome. Um, so could you briefly tell us about uh, how you got into architecture? Like this was in the 80s, right? So could you briefly tell us about uh, the journey then? Uh, that It was an interesting journey. My parents wanted me to go into medicine. Okay. <laughs> Indian parents, right? Yeah. yeah. The, the <laughs> child has to be a doctor or engineer. <laughs> so I wanted to go into journalism. Mm-hmm. But then I came to know about the College of Architecture. I was always interested in art. I went, interviewed, and suddenly the, the admission letter was in the mail. After that, as they say, the rest is history, and there was no looking back. Um, five years in college, that those were golden years of my life. We had a very good group, an excellent group of teachers. I learned a lot. I had a lot of good opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, in my fourth year internship, I interned with Bivi Doshi at oh, Stein wow. Doshi and Bhalla. Awesome. Phenomenal, phenomenal experience. That was uh, really, really wonderful. And what is it back uh, then? Like, uh, was it more of drafting? And uh, yeah, of course, it was more of drafting, but. Uh, yes, it was drafting. It was drafting. And uh, if you tear somebody's drawing, then it's a tragedy. <laughs> I know I did that once. Okay. <laughs> I'm confessing to it now, but yes, I did. I did tear somebody's um, double elephant sized vellum. That was (laughs) not, not very good. And you know, those were the days because they had to tape the vellum together to get the CD out. Hmm. And uh, what do you mean by vellum and CD? Uh, CDs, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, lapsing into the local verbiage or construction documents. Right, right. And uh, uh, th- that would be the gateway tracing. Right, right. So yes, right. it was a gateway sheet and uh, I tripped and tore half of it and it was almost a complete document. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, it was very sad. <laughs> but that doesn't happen nowadays. Nowadays there are no, there's no paper to tear. yeah. And that was also in, I think maybe by the mid nineties also, they made a transition towards uh, the computer, right? The CAD. Uh, That would be in the mid nineties. It was, it was still a battle Mm -hmm. because um, at, at my place of work, it was still, you know, um, gateway tracing, hand drafting, things like that. And uh, I was pushing to use CAD because Mm -hmm. it was so fast and it was, so easy and uh, there was there was a battle between the old and the new mm-hmm. cad had a credibility issue at that point of time people didn't believe that cad would do whatever it was that we wanted to do and you know even autocad release 12 release 10 they were phenomenally more efficient than drawing by hand so um of course right after that point in time i moved to the united states mm-hmm. where Everything was in the process of shifting to CAD. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the earlier interviews I had, they would show me their model building table. And the model building table was, you know, just everybody was just dumping their stuff on it. Nobody was building models anymore. All right. Yeah. And I think that uh, transition now is more from CAD to BIM, right? Correct. And that is also a battle because BIM also has a credibility issue with mm-hmm. CAD. Look, you're in AutoCAD. 30 minutes into AutoCAD, you can produce a document. 
Yeah. You can use the line command, offset, dimensions, you're all set. It yeah. is really quick and easy. And um, 90% of the users, I would say, they don't go below the surface of AutoCAD. Mm-hmm. With BIM, however, since BIM is so smart, you have to know exactly what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Once that learning curve has been overcome, then BIM becomes very intuitive. And it starts to tell you what it is that it wants. Uh, That is something that I have always found a challenge to convince people. With most people, their attitude is, oh, I could do it so much faster in AutoCAD. Mm -hmm. But you are drafting a plan in AutoCAD then. You have to visualize the elevation. Mm -hmm. You have to visualize the sections. Something can go wrong in the process. Some of the geometry may not be correctly interpreted, whereas in BIM, you are working in Revit, rather. BIM is a a little more of an overarching term. Whereas in Revit, you you may see things in 2D, you may imagine things in 2D, but whatever you are creating is a virtual model Mm. of the entire building. And then you have your little camera and you walk around the building and you're taking pictures. That's what your elevations are. That's what your sections are. That's what your interior perspective views are. And that is that is something that has always been a challenge for me to get across. Yeah. And now, uh, yeah. And the best part about BIM is, uh, yeah, you need to invest more time, but it pays off in the long run, especially for yes, facilities management and all that, right? Yes, it does. For instance, um, let's say you've got a table. You need to put furniture into your model. You've got a table. You have maybe three sizes of table. Rather than drawing three different tables, creating three blocks for the Mm -hmm. three sizes of table, I can create a table family, Mm -hmm. which has all three sizes in it as types. And I can use that same family and I can generate 100 different types of tables out of that. Mm -hmm. Now, what that means is that involves a little bit of work right at the beginning. Yep. But for the user, so as the BIM manager, that's my job. I go in, I create families, I make them intuitive, I make them smart. Mm -hmm. And then I give them to the user. And I tell them, put it into your project, tell me how it works. And that's, that's how the process starts of creating a tool that is very intuitive, it's very smart, and it's very efficient. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, how did you uh, transition to a BIM manager? Like it took you pretty long, right? Yes, it did. Um, Proceeding from academia, because in academia, you're there and you're exposed to everything. You're exposed to the cutting edge of of technology and uh, you've got students who come in who want to learn technology. So it starts off as a race, staying Mm. two steps ahead of the students. And then as you go on with teaching class after class, then things start to come a lot more easy to you. Mm-hmm. So I had, uh, I had been teaching at uh, Purdue University for some time. Mm-hmm. And when the opportunity at a local firm came up for a BIM specialist, I applied. And I was really, really surprised when they called me back because they, they, they felt that um, as a BIM specialist, I would be of more value than just uh, coordinating BIM standards and creating families, creating BIM tools. Hmm. 
the vision at that time was to bring in somebody with training and communication experience. Right. That's what I had. Right. I had the training and communication experience. And this has been a common thread for me because after that, I have, um, I have been um, – I have been BIM specialist slash BIM manager at another couple of local firms, uh, culminating now with my position in Fishbeck. And this is still a part of my uh, work content mm. where I have to um, communicate with the team and I have to teach them about the tools that I have created. I've created a family. Mm. I need to let the, to the team know how to use this family, how to get the best out of it and how to prevent it from, from breaking. I have to teach them best practices on how to make the projects as efficient as possible. Mm -hmm. so, I, so what I brought to the table was a lot more mm -hmm. than somebody who had spent years and years in industry would have brought. All right. But how did you pick up on those skills, uh, considering the fact that there was not too many resources or uh, tutorials out there back then, right? You know what, Manish, where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> All right. So uh, a lot of times it would be in response to something from a team member. Hmm. A team member calls me up and says, can you create a smart tag for me hmm. that will calculate the maximum egress through a door? Mm -hmm. A phenomenal resource that I discovered and that I used were the Autodesk Revit forums. I got onto the Revit forums. I started asking questions. I got some great guidance. There are so many, um, there are so many mentors out there mm -hmm. who know so much and who are so helpful. They're so willing to share their knowledge. And as time went on, I suddenly discovered that I was giving answers. Yeah, I and thought uh, you worked for Autodesk when I saw some of your answers on the forums. <laughs> Well, I, well, thank you. That's that's an honor. That's really an honor. So as as time went on, I discovered I was giving answers. I was giving a lot of answers, mm -hmm. and then suddenly it came about that um, I, I at AU I had people stop me in the hallways. You're so good. Why aren't you an expert elite? <laughs> yeah. And suddenly, you know, I was nominated for expert elite, and I got it. And after that, there was nice. no looking back. I went on to present at AU. Wow. Um, I'm involved with directly. It's uh, it, it, it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal group of people in the expert elite community because you're there, and I learn something from them every single day. Every conversation I have with an, uh, with one of my colleagues, I learn something new. And if I'm able to help them, it's an honor. It's a complete honor. Awesome. And I think you must have met a lot of people and networked as well, right? Yes. Yes, it's, that's, that's a part of it. You know, uh, especially when you're at AU, it's such an opportunity. There, there are people from different companies and uh, they do a variety of work. They accomplish a variety of things. And just by asking questions, casual conversations, asking questions, you learn so much. And for me, that's really important. If I don't every day, then it's, it's not a good day for me. So you're also constantly learning even now, uh, every day. Absolutely. You know, even when I talk to people at work, even when, you know, I'm doing something like uh, developing a new family, for instance, I am still learning something new. Are you also, uh, because generally when you get into BIM, there's so many avenues which you can get into, which is uh, automation, coding. So are you also picking up on those skills? Um, uh, with my specialty is 
usage of the software, mm-hmm. um, family development and uh, uh, project troubleshooting, project corruption issues. Those are my specialties. Uh, my objective is to the team as far away from from Autodesk as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it's as far as possible. I try not to call Autodesk to resolve issues. And so far, um, in the past maybe five, five years, five, six years, I've called on Autodesk maybe twice Only. for an issue. And uh, considering the fact that you're a veteran, have you ever felt uh, intimidated by the new guys who specialize so much in the software and uh, coding? Oh, my goodness. Have you seen some of the stuff that is floating around? There are people who come up with this really, really complex geometry in Dynamo. Hmm. You know, I, I think Dynamo is, is is the future. For me, I, I use Dynamo a lot for repetitive tasks, mm-hmm. for project cleanup, for instance, troubleshooting. Uh, that's what I use Dynamo for. I have not used Dynamo yet as a generative tool. Mm-hmm. And I see people out there who who come up with this wonderful, complex geometry. Uh, you you can find them on LinkedIn. It is it is phenomenal. It is so very, very interesting. As far as creating geometry goes, though, I'm a little, I'm a little um, old school, okay. kind of like my dear friend Alfredo Medina. Alfredo, he's compl- he's all for developing families. He says, "Why do you need Dynamo when you can develop a family?" I'm mm-hmm. kind of like that. Uh, but uh, when I see see some of the the things that others are coming up with, it just boggles the mind. Yeah, and it. It shows that you need to adapt uh, to the technology as in when you uh, work as an architect or progress in your career as an architect, right? Very true. And at my end, it would be recognizing a design opportunity. Let's say, you know, we're in a project and we've got this incredibly complex geometry that needs to be modeled. It would be my responsibility to recognize that as an opportunity, advise the team so, and possibly develop a dynamo script to create create the geometry or find somebody who can develop that dynamo script for us. And frankly, where I am, finding somebody would be the most efficient solution. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, you spoke about the various uh, scope as a BIM manager, but do you feel that a BIM manager for every firm has different scope of work and uh, the different way of working? Very true. Everybody has their own style and every firm has their own conventions. They have their own standards that need to be complied to. Um, it also depends upon the content of the firm that you're working with. Uh, a previous job, the firm specialized in movie theaters. So that is a completely different ball game. Yeah. Developing families had to be very sensitive to things like sightline issues, um, ADA, spacing, things like that. I mean, developing seat families for projects like that was a real, real challenge for me. Making sure that they were graphically correct in the plan, they represented the the sight line issues, uh, they looked graphically correct on the sheet. That was a real challenge. Um, other firms where, uh, where I have worked, uh, even currently, Life safety planning is absolutely huge. Now, coming up with a tool that would allow the team member who is creating the life safety plan, coming up with a tool that does that really, really quickly, quickly calculates egress, calculates occupancy for you, calculates travel distance. 
distance, all of that is absolutely huge. Now, I, I do understand that Revit 2020 has started off with their Path of Travel tool. It's a great tool. It's an absolutely great tool. Uh, but my current firm, we are still working in 2019. We plan to transition right. directly right. to 2021. So for the current projects, I have thrown together a tool and the, the team members, they think it's pretty slick. So it all depends upon the firm. Previous firms I worked at, they were already in 2020. So the tools that I was providing them were very different from what I am providing now in my current, uh, in my current um, job situation. All right. And uh, do Bimman is also design apart from the technical stuff? That is something that I feel very, very, very strongly about. If you just stay in the ivory tower of BIM, you're just there, you are troubleshooting, you are creating tools, you are mentoring team members, you are kind of out of touch with how it is that the firm does things. Yeah. Now, let's say if I've been working at a firm for 10 years and all of a sudden I decide to transition over to be a BIM manager. I'm in a good place because I know exactly how it is that the firm does things. But, you know, for instance, if I have moved over from another firm and I start as a BIM manager, I know how the other firms did their work. But mm -hmm. I don't know how this firm does does their work, mm -hmm. which is why a part of my job description is to be involved in document production. Mm -hmm. if, I, if, if I'm in doc document production, I take what I know. And I'm able to plug it in to what it is that the firm needs. And I can take my knowledge and do it their way. Mm -hmm. And that helps me to be a lot more efficient. So, yes, there does need to be a certain proportion of your work content that is involved with, with production. I would say maybe a 75-25 split. 75% um, BIM management, 25% production. And that could be flexible because there are there are times when uh, work is slow, construction is slow. Mm -hmm. And in that case, I would spend more time on standards and families. All right. So yeah, you were uh, talking about BIM manager. It sounds like there's a lot of work uh, being a BIM manager. So could you tell us about the importance of uh, delegation and not getting bogged down with a lot of uh, work pressure? That's really, really important because my time is valuable. Uh, I, I would need to look at what needs to be done and farm it out to other, other team members. So it's kind of a balancing act. Let's say that there are team members who are still uh, in the learning process, let us say. Uh, they need training. Uh, they need practice, rather. Um, we don't have enough to load them. Then in that case, I would need to step in, look at what needs to be done, match it with their, with their abilities. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then delegate work to them. So things like simpler families, for instance. Mm -hmm. I would rather devote my time to something that is more complex, maybe to designing the template, maybe to creating view templates, standardizing stuff. Uh, my time would be better spent with that than in, let us say, uh, creating a casework family. So in that case, I would farm out, farm out uh, work to other members of the team. I would watch over their shoulder, be available as, as a resource. Once their job is done, I would definitely need to go in, vet the, the product and make sure that it is up to standard. Maybe I would add in a few enhancements in order to make the product better. And I feel that that would be the best uh, utilization of my time. 
Right. So it's also you working and uh, a lot of others working at the same time. Very true. Very true. Uh, cannot really, there's no I in team, right? Yeah, yeah. We all have to, we all have to work together. We all have to communicate a lot. And uh, so there are, we have periodic meetings. We have periodic brainstorming sessions. We've got something called a brown bag lunch. Nice. Everybody gets together and we talk about um, what we're doing, what needs to be done, what we used to do in previous jobs, just compare notes and we try to learn from each other. And that's really, really important. Nobody knows everything, you know. You can always learn something from somebody else. And uh, you guys are, of course, working on the cloud using uh, various platforms like BIM 360 or Imagine It. Uh, correct. Um, especially nowadays with COVID-19 going on, working on the cloud has become absolutely crucial, you mm. know, um, a, a part of a part of uh, my responsibility as well as um, teamed up with certain key team members was to take the projects, clean them up, upload them to BIM 360. Just that was a learning exercise. It was very, very intense. It was a learning exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but working on the cloud is is again, it's it's the you know it's there's something great about working on the cutting edge of technology. It's just it's such an opportunity where you can collaborate with with so many other agencies. They may not even be a part of the Fishbeck family. And you are you're out there and you're collaborating with so many other consultants in real time. That's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And did you ever imagine yourself uh, like 20, 30 years back that uh, you would transition from being uh, drafting to CAD and now working in the cloud? Believe it or not, no, I <laughs> did not. But you know, it's it. Maybe it's maybe it's just me, but I find something so fascinating about about technology. You know, I look at stuff and. I think, man, I want to do that too. Hmm. And uh, as time has gone on, I've been able to, I've been able to do stuff like that I wanted to do. Awesome. And uh, could you also briefly tell us about the type of projects that you work on? But it sounded like uh, more of the interior design projects. Uh, not really. Of course, interior design projects are fun. Uh, I, I do not do them. I collaborate with the interiors team because they have their own specific requirements. Uh, they Smart tags. Sometimes they need dumb tags. Sometimes they need furniture. They need special furniture families. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have a manufacturer's family that they need. The interiors team, they've got this totally fascinating uh, requirement of um, what they need, the kind of help that they need from me. Um over the past few years, my my involvement has been mainly with uh, commercial projects, some some retail, some higher ed uh, projects, and uh, recently I was I was contributing to a series of family entertainment center projects. It's mm-hmm. it's just amazing, you know, just the the scope of work depending upon. Uh, the requirement of the project, depending on the function of the project, how different things and how different the requirements for the project can be. It's fascinating. And uh, since you worked in India as well, uh, what are the major differences that you found working in India and uh, then going on to work in the States? Architecture is architecture. You know, I mean, it's, I think it's mainly, 
mainly the the materials, the building materials, the building technology that I found different. Mm. In India, it was all about the 10-inch brick walls, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the cast-in-place concrete. You, you know, you've got uh, – I, I still remember the days. Maybe things have changed because I left India a long time ago. But I remember the days when, you know, you would have, have um, laborers carrying – baskets of concrete mixed on their head and pouring it into the form, form work. Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, it's still the same pretty much in most places. <laughs> oh, really? <Yeah. laughs> okay. Um, and then I come to the United States and I see that everything is stick, stick built. Mm-hmm. Built on two by, two by four lumber, built on two by sixes maybe. And I used to look at the framework of those buildings and think, how do they stand? Mm-hmm. It was quite a culture shock. Of course, now that's that's all I do. That's all that I deal with now. But that was definitely a culture shock. Um, other things that I found different, the amount of um, regulation, the amount of legislation that is involved mm-hmm. in the building industry. You've got right. code. Um, you have got ADA. ADA is absolutely huge. You know, mm-hmm. it makes such a difference to to design. Everything has to be calculated in order to comply with ADA. Um, life safety plans are also a part of ADA. And uh, where I come in, there would be things like designing families, mm-hmm. uh, creating signage, creating, you know, just the simple ADA symbol. The, the ADA symbol of the of the person in the wheelchair in the circle, just that can be made smart. I can take it. I can make it rotatable so that the team member takes a symbol, inserts it in uh, in a plan view. They don't have to manually rotate the symbol depending upon the orientation of the of the toilet room. Mm-hmm. They can use a rotation parameter and rotate it. Um, other things that I have liked to do would be just to take everything, nest all the other families. You've got the grab bars, you've got the the, the clearances, the, the fixtures, nest them together into a family. That makes things so much easier for the team. They just take that nest, the, the host family with the nested families in it, slap it into place, and they're all done. Um, so, so legislation and regulation is... A, a very, very key difference, a very major difference in what um, designing was in, uh, in between India and the United States. Yeah, and I think in uh, certain states, the uh, cost you're going to spend on uh, procuring the documents sometimes exceeds the construction itself, right? Every state has got their own has got their own requirements. For instance, when you design for a project in California, mm-hmm. ADA compliance is absolutely huge. Then a part of our documentation is um, showing the parking layout, showing the number and the distance of accessible parking spots to the building. Uh, if we've got a ticket counter, then there has to be an ADA compliant t- um part of the ticket counter as well, uh, just the spacing of railings, the width of ramps, for instance, that mm-hmm. is entirely different. Whereas if we are designing something that's, say, in Nevada, in the state of Nevada, mm-hmm. then things are entirely different. They're not as as stringent. So each state has got their own requirements. I and mean, we've got the International Building Code. We've got, um, we've got the... Um, the national building code, and then each state has got their own interpretation. Michigan has got their own interpretation of the building codes. California has got their own interpretation of the building codes. And not only that, depending upon 
the the city that uh, the project is being designed for they would have their own requirements for mm-hmm. documents that need to be submitted for permitting so it is the job of the team rather of the project manager to make sure that they are absolutely aware of everything that is required otherwise it gets really interesting you know the project is done um somebody has gone there with a punch list to make sure that all bases are covered and suddenly it turns out that a ramp or a staircase or something is not compliant mm-hmm. they're opening next week and the entire ramp has to be dismantled and recreated it has mm-hmm. happened it actually did happen and um so that that is that is why especially firms um there are firms that only work let's say in the state of michigan but uh, i've been fortunate to have been involved with firms that are uh creating projects all over the united states and it is it's definitely a race to stay on top of uh, code requirements permitting requirements mm-hmm. in different states and different municipalities different counties in order to make sure that there is as little reworking of the documents as possible all right and uh, yeah uh, yeah in india there is uh, a lot of jugad that happens as we try to adjust stuff uh, that <laughs> it's been so long since i heard that word <laughs> but it uh, doesn't really work uh, work in us right you need to stick by the rules and everything you have to play by the rules no jugad here <laughs> all right uh, could you briefly tell us about uh, the um, uh, the licensing part in us i think it's quite a journey to become an architect in the us right it is it is it is quite a journey um you come in you enroll in uh you, you are an associate aia hmm. you sign up with the aia you're an associate aia you go through a certain amount of experience mm-hmm. um uh, there is a certain number of hours that you have to log in you have a you have a designated mentor you have a certain number of hours that you have to log in and the hours are in different um in different disciplines so as to speak um site for instance construction documents uh so on and so forth and uh, after a certain period of time i believe it's 3 to 5 years you have to take examinations mm-hmm. it's multiple exams each stage and um as you clear each stage you get closer and closer finally you are aia finally you are licensed architect licensure procedures are different for each state so if you are licensed in the state of michigan you would not be licensed to practice in in the state of california so it's important for firms firms really look out for team members who are licensed in the states that they have they have their projects in mm-hmm. so that that particular that particular professional can go ahead and sign and steal and seal the documents for that particular project right and uh, everyone has to get the same are exam or is it different for every state licensing requirements are different for different states right and it generally takes about 4 to 5 years right yes it's it's definitely a process all right and uh, did you have like a full blown party as soon as, soon as you got uh, your license Oh I'm not licensed. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm not licensed. All right, uh, Rina, could you uh, briefly tell about uh, tell us about uh, the journey to US? Uh, what made you, you were working in Coal India, right? In India? Correct. Uh I was yeah. I I started my career at Mekon mm-hmm. in Ranchi 
and from there I transitioned to uh, Coal India. Mm-hmm. Now, now, from there, my ambitions wanted me to get a master's in architecture, right. and that led me to um, to move to the United States. Once I moved to the United States, I got my master's. I found career opportunities. I just stayed here. And uh, you're definitely living the American dream right now. Oh yes, I'm. I'm doing what I love. Awesome. It's the it's the intellectual challenge, you know. Um, I find something that challenges me, and I keep plugging away until I break the problem. Mm-hmm. It's a great feeling. It's a great high. All right. And uh, there's a lot of uh, Indian architects and uh, students who aspire to go and work in the U.S. and uh, study in the U.S. Um, what advice would you give them, uh, those who want to like come and settle down in the U.S.? The first thing to do is keep an open mind. Mm-hmm. Things are definitely different from India and the United States. Mm-hmm. Secondly, if you have the opportunity to gain software experience, please, please, please take those opportunities. Mm-hmm. The way that the industry is going, Revit skills are crucial. Mm-hmm. Most firms will not look at you if you do not have Revit skills. AutoCAD skills are good. There is there is, there is some involvement with AutoCAD in the general workflow, but Revit is king nowadays. If you can learn, if you can perfect your skills, embrace every single resource that you can to do so. If you're a student, there are student licenses that you can get from Autodesk. It's a three-year license and it self-destructs in three years. Take that. It's an awesome opportunity. Um, You can also get help through the Revit forums. I found the Revit forums to be an amazing, amazing Mm -hmm. uh, resource. Look on LinkedIn. There are so many of us who are out there and posting, sharing our knowledge, sharing our insights. It's a very, very open community. The BIM community is very open. We don't just, you know, take our secrets and sit on them, you know, hey, this is my secret and I'm not going to share it because that makes me special. Nobody thinks that way. All of us are out there and we are willing and able and happy to solve your problems, give you advice, give you insights. Um, It's a tremendous resource. Tap into it. If nothing else, even if you are uh, unable or unwilling or unsuccessful at making the transition to move move into the state, move over to the states, you'll have learned something. Awesome. All right. Uh, let's talk about a bit uh, of BIM, the BIM scenario in the U.S. I think uh, you guys uh, pioneered definitely BIM, and then now it's sort of changing to Europe, right? So, what's the BIM scenario right now in U.S.? I'm not too sure there's much of much of a difference between the BIM scenario in the United States and in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, there's a Revit certification exam, and that was actually designed by by experts from all over the world. I mean, the final panel that created the exam was two experts from the United States and two from the United Kingdom. I was one of the representatives from the United States, and oh, nice. uh, the objective was to make sure that the, the exam is sensitive to differences between the United States and Europe. So at the very least, a metric version of the exam was on the books. So I really don't think that there is much of a difference uh, in the attitudes and the knowledge base regarding BIM uh, between the United States and Europe. The major differences would be in their context, mm-hmm. in um, the geographic location 
where they're building, the type of projects that they want, socioeconomic. I think that those would be the distinctions between mm-hmm. uh, the two, these two parts of the world. All right. And I recently watched a video on uh, the U.S. infrastructure and it's not uh, really picking up, right? Uh, so um, do you feel that BIM could help in any way? One of the major achievements of BIM, and when I talk about BIM, I mean the entire uh, Autodesk construction cloud, has been to save time. Mm-hmm. It's been this has been something that Autodesk has been particularly proud of. The fact that uh, tools like BIM 360, for instance, PlanGrid, they are saving companies so very much t- uh, time, mm-hmm. and um, just that makes. That makes for a more efficient, a more productive uh, workforce. Um, yeah. So uh, since you're from India and India is always a bit behind, do you feel that you would come back and set up shop and uh, be a part of the BIM uh, change in India? That's a really good question. And uh, given the right opportunity, that may actually be an option. However, what makes it really difficult is that I've got family in the United States now. Um but given the cloud, you know, given the cloud and the value of um, working remotely, working from a distance, even teaching from a distance, I think that geographically relocating is no longer an issue. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even from across the Atlantic, I'd be happy to step in, contribute, help out, mentor. I think that would be an absolutely great opportunity. All right. Awesome. And uh, uh, talking about mentoring, uh, how have you uh, maybe... Uh, being part of workshops or communities that uh, encourage BIM or uh, uh, embrace BIM technology? One of the things that I have found very, very hard to let go of has been my attachment to the classroom. Mm-hmm. I was teaching, I've been teaching for a very, very long time. I'm still teaching, as a matter of fact. Right. Um, I leave work early and run off to the classroom. It, it's just something that I cannot get myself out of. Mm-hmm. And that is, um, it, it, that's something that is still very, very, very important to me. So I still teach a couple of classes at uh, Kalamazoo Valley Community College. Um, in addition to that, I am on the advisory board of, uh, of the local technical education board. It's called KCTC, Kent County um, uh, Technical Centers. And I'm, uh, I'm currently the chair of their advisory board. And um I go in, I help to, I'm, I'm a jury member to evaluate student projects. I mentor, I talk to students. I just tell them, hey, I'm here. I've got all of this information. I would have killed to have somebody come in when I was a student and bring this wealth of knowledge that could help me to get started. So just something like that can be really, really important. In addition to that, um, going to AU, helping out at the Revit forums. Mm-hmm. Even you know, if I can answer a question a day, I've helped somebody out. Awesome. And that is that is very very important to me. Nowadays on LinkedIn, I have started uh, periodically posting every week or a couple of times a week. I started posting Revitisms. All right. And uh, and now you know the posts have started to pick up. They started to pick up recognition, mm-hmm. and I've actually started to get responses. Hey, this is something that I can do. I think this is going to help me. That means a lot. You know, if something that I, if I was able to take whatever I had done during the day, because that's where the revitisms come from. You know, mm-hmm. I do something in the during the day at my job. It makes me think, and I just 
put it down on print and um, send it out. If something like that can be helpful to somebody, why not? That's made my day. So it's all it's all a part of, you know, I learn and then I, I like to try to help people also learn and be more successful and uh, be more appreciative of of the great technology that we have the opportunity to work with. Yeah, awesome. And uh, yeah, considering the present situation, do you feel that there would be a larger transition to the online world and e-learning taking the stage uh, more than just the classroom? This is perfect timing for that question, Manish. Yeah. <laughs> Last night, since since the um, the college is closed down because of COVID. Last night was my very first um, online session with my class. It's an architectural print reading class. Oh, now, awesome. print reading, that means that, you know, you've got those big uh, elephant-sized sheets and you're opening out prints and you're talking to the students about them. Mm-hmm. Last night's session was completely online. I screen shared. My students logged into the Skype session. Mm-hmm. I screen shared. They were able to see my my presentation. They were able to see the sheets that I was presenting. They were able to hear. They were able to talk back to me, mm-hmm. ask questions, get clarifications. It was just like being in the classroom, except for that we were not in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Advantages to that, even students who did not have a laptop, they were able to get onto the session using their phone, using their iPad, tablet. It makes for so much of flexibility. Yeah. So yes, going online is definitely an option. And there are times when it's not convenient, it's not safe. For instance, I mean, there's, there's so much that can go wrong during the day, but class doesn't need to stop. Yeah. So I think that this is really, really important. Um, in the workplace, for instance, my teammates and I, we are in constant communication throughout the day. We're talking to each other throughout the day. It's I am, a lot of it is Microsoft Teams, a lot of it is Skype for Business, and we stay in touch. We even had staff meetings. Via, so you're presently via working Skype. from home, right? Yes. Currently, due to COVID, um, uh, we are all working from home. What I do miss, however, is the human element. Hmm. And that's what I feel that uh, would still make the office um, the more important venue to conduct business. Because here you are, you're at home, you're isolated, admitted, you're there, you've got your cup of tea, you've got your, your puppy to cuddle, but you do miss the human element of being able to, you know, just step over, talk to somebody, get get actual FaceTime, get voice time with somebody and have actual communication, maybe share a laugh, be more spontaneous, things like that. But working remotely is a, working learning remotely is a definite option now. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel that in the future, companies would definitely consider the hybrid uh, of, you know, having having to work together and also having to work remotely uh, once in a while. Very true. Very true. And I'm sure that there is a happy blend for that. You know, I'm sure that somebody is going to come up with a, with a good mix of the amount of time that you would need to you need to spend, you know, split between office and working remotely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, my last question to you is, uh, where do you see the future of BIM considering the fact that you transitioned so much in uh, 40 years? Uh, where do you see the uh, uh, our AAC industry headed? Right now, the big buzzword is generative design. Mm-hmm. Autodesk has started their, uh, their beta um, project refinery and they are experimenting 
with throwing, you know, a few ingredients in the pot and coming up with multiple combinations. Mm. So last year at AU, there were a couple of very, very interesting presentations on that. And I would be very, very interested to see where that goes. Especially, you know, when you are in commercial, when you are in, um, it could be retail commercial, it could be public buildings. Standardization is key. And uh, just being able to create a standard module, maybe two or three standard modules, and feed that into the generative design software and have the generative design software come up with various combinations of the modules, that gives you so many options, you know, um, so much more flexibility. When you have more options, you are able to make better choices. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're able to make better tweaks and better modifications, and that's going to save us so much time. And make us so much more efficient, so much more profitable. But we're definitely not going to get replaced, right? The people, the people are going to change. The people are going to be more knowledgeable about the software. They're going to be uh, more in t- more in tune with the software. They're going to be able to communicate to the software, understand what the software wants, and tell the software exactly what it is that needs to be done in a manner that the software understands. So the people are going to be there, but they're going to be different. They're going to have a different knowledge base and a different skill set. All right, awesome. All right, so we quickly jump into the quick fire round and then I let you go. (laughs) There's a quick fire round? (laughs) This sounds like coffee with (laughs) current. All right, Uh, which book has inspired you the most? Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. I found it very difficult to read through that book. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite book. (laughs) All right. Uh, What do you generally uh, listen to? Bollywood music. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So which one's been your favorite uh, music? Um, Artist or uh, anything? Anything that is danceable, you know, like Bhangra music, Garba music, you name it. It just has to be Dhum Tarakewala music. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. Uh, do you also listen to music while working? No, for me, music while working is a distraction. Mm-hmm. It's right. very surprising. I mean, I see people w- with headphones on all the time, and I think it's just a distraction. All right. Uh, what would you have chosen had you not taken up architecture? Probably journalism. Journalism. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. I, I love to write. I love to, um, I, I, you know, just putting my words down on paper. It's fantastic. All right. Uh, which city would you consider your favorite? Chandigarh. Yeah. Home is always home. And uh, do you do visit Chandigarh like every year or so? Uh, actually, no. I have not been back to India ever since 1998. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, was there any mentor in your life or someone who has inspired you? Um, there are maybe, I would consider maybe um, at least two mentors mm-hmm. in, okay, let's make it three. Uh, in the College of Architecture, our principal, mm-hmm. Dr. S.S. Bhatti, he was one of the uh, members of Corbu's original Chandigarh team. Oh, wow. Uh, he was a definite a definite um, inspiration, uh, a definite mentor. For some reason, he, he understood me. Mm-hmm. He understood that, you know, I'm not all fun and games and goofy. He recognized the serious side of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I definitely owe him uh, a debt of gratitude. The next mentor that I would count would be Mr. B.V. Doshi. Mm-hmm. 
Nice. Um, I, I, I especially remember my last, this was a long time ago, a very long time ago. You don't want to know how long ago it was. <laughs> but uh, on the last day of my internship at Sangat, the exit interview that I had with him, I remember every single minute of that. Mm-hmm. And he was just, he was just so encouraging and he just lit up, you know, with some of the feedback that I gave him about my internship experiences. He just lit up. It was absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. In the United States, there are there are many mentors. I would say that um, most of the out of the expert elite community, there are people whom I interact with every single day. It's kind of like, hey, I ran into a problem. What do I do? And those guys are my mentors. We've got Matt Wunsch. We've got Dave Butts. We've got Mike Davis. These guys, they are old friends. They're dear friends. They are mentors. They mentor me all the time. But above all, the most important mentor to me in my journey towards BIM has been uh, a gentleman called Tone Gwen. Mm-hmm. And he's in, he's in California, and the amount I have learned from him, oh my God, he is a he is an expert. He's one of the few experts who's rated as a thirteen. I'm an eleven, and Tone is a thirteen. And the amount I have learned from him has been absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. So hey, where would I be without without encouragement, without input, without um, knowledge, you know? And that's where all of these mentors have stepped in. It's been it's been quite a journey. And I owe these guys a debt of gratitude. Awesome. Awesome, Rina. And uh, what does a daily routine in your life uh, look like? Now, uh, now of course, is uh, at home, but then back uh, when you're in office. Oh, I, I actually miss the office days <laughs> because, you know, going to office gives you structure. Hmm. You know, um, get up, spend some time on the Directly website, do some troubleshooting, uh, feed the dog, let the, the dog out, and uh, go to work. Now, at work, given the nature of my job, because I, I'm flying by the seat of my pants most of the time, mm-hmm. it, it can change. You know, I could be working on something and then suddenly that gets a lower priority. Something comes up with a higher priority or there's a team that's in trouble. If there's a team that's in trouble, then that suddenly becomes my first priority because we cannot have a team that's dead in the water. Mm-hmm. They have to be brought back on task as soon as possible. It's adventurous. It, it, it's, it gets really, really exciting at times. And that prevents me from getting bored. I stay alert. I stay awake. It's, I stay interested. So it's kind of nice. Uh, in the evening, there are some days when I have to uh, drive over to teach my class. But I come back home, I chill. Come back home, watch, um, maybe watch a Bollywood movie. <laughs> some things right. never change. Or I drive over over to my my daughter's home, spend time with her and her family. Um, no, I don't think I really have a routine. Leaving aside, getting to work at 8 o'clock and coming back at 5, and it may not even be 5 o'clock, it could be later than 5. I don't really think I have a routine. All right. But the work culture in the U.S. is pretty comfortable, right? It is. Um, as long as you get your job done. That is what they look at. Mm-hmm. Get your job done. Stay on schedule. Um, be honest. Be open. Be helpful. Be cooperative. Be willing to learn. The most important thing that employers look at in the United States is mm-hmm. a willingness to learn. All right. So ha- having somebody who says, this is not how I've done things. I've always done things differently. I don't want to do things your way. That is not encouraged. Mm-hmm. That is kind of frowned upon. All right. And uh, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? 
10 years from now, I see myself up to speed with whatever iteration the technology has achieved at that time. Five years ago, my technology skills were entirely different. Hmm. Five years from now, 10 years from now, I confidently expect that my knowledge base and my technology skills are going to be entirely different. I fully intend to move with the times. All right. And uh, my last question to you is, what advice would you give to young architects and architecture students just getting started? Just getting started. One of the things that I would like to stress again is pick up all the software skills that you have. Get that Autodesk student license. Um, get yourself a license for, for Revit, for AutoCAD, maybe 3ds Max even. Mm-hmm. And learn those Take all the help from the Revit forums, that, that from the Autodesk forums that you can. Learn whatever you can. Now, at school, take, take, classes in, take all the classes in CAD that you can. And um, finally, just keep an open mind. Never stop learning. Never, ever stop learning. If you can get an internship while you're at school, please do so. Because there is a basic disconnect between school and the workplace. If you've got, um, if you've got part-time professors who come in, you know they they have full-time jobs, but they come in to teach part-time. Mm-hmm. Grab one of them. Try to get an internship with a professor who is actually working in practice, mm-hmm. and that would be absolutely huge in terms of keeping your learning at school in tune with what is required at the workplace. Because let's face it, the final objective, your final objective, is going to be the workplace. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, Rina. I think that was some great advice. Lots to learn from this episode. Thanks for coming on to the Akyan podcast. Um, what's the best way our listeners could get in touch with you in case they want to reach out? Um, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best way to get in touch with me. Um, I, I think you should be able to find me on LinkedIn. But hey, this has been a great conversation and uh, you made me think and uh, revisit a lot of things that have been important in my life. Thank you for this opportunity. I love being here. You've been listening to the Ak Young Podcast. We're still building the community. Please share this knowledge with someone you know who could benefit. Just send them to akyoung.com where you'll find our free newsletter and for more podcast episodes. Search for the show on any major podcasting platform. Don't forget to subscribe where you're listening right now. And if you liked it, leave a rating or review.